0: Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2,
1: Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Nate. And this is our review of Days of Thunder, starring Tom Cruise, Robert Duvall, Nicole Kidman, Michael Rooker, John C. Riley, Carrie Elways, and Randy Quaid. Directed by Tony Scott, produced by Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, released in 1990 on a budget of $55 million, grossed $157 million at the box office, another $40 million in rentals. Nate, I have distinct memories of seeing this thing in 1990, but I want to know your story with Days of Thunder.
0: All right, so I got to I got to put some background on this. I this movie came out in 1990. In 1990, I was 14 years old. I worked and when I was 14 years old, that summer I worked in a pit crew at the local speedway down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. That's where I learned to change, change a tire, index spark plugs, everything I know about a car, I learned from working in the It was at the very bottom level of racing. I mean, we're, I'm telling you these are just guys that this is just something new for fun. The cars wrecked all the time. But I worked in this pit crew that whole racing season. And so I was – I grew up – growing up in South Carolina, I grew up an hour away from Darlington. And NASCAR was my favorite, absolute favorite sport really all the way up until Tony Stewart retired. And after he retired – because I grew up – Richard Petty was my guy. Then it was Darrell Waltrip. trip. And then I got out of it for a little while. And then when Tony Stewart came along, I really liked him. And then when he got out, then that I was just done. The sport had just changed too much. So when I saw this movie come out, you got to keep in mind, I was 14. I had been watching NASCAR since I was a little kid. I had all the Hot Wheels. In fact, I've got my Days of Thunder Hot Wheels right over here that I still have <laughs> out that I'm going to bring over. Um, but, you know, I was really excited about this. I remember seeing the trailer as a kid in the movie theater. And was really excited to see what this was about, and I let's just say it was it was interesting. It, it was uh, so that, that that's sort of my history of this movie. I have seen it many times since. There are a lot of things about the movie I love, love, love. It's a nostalgia thing. Um, it's really what the only NAS somewhat NASCAR movie that's not a comedy. Um, yeah, it's but as Richard Petty did say. You know, the only thing the movie got right was the numbers on the sides of the car. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Talk about that yeah, in just a yeah, little yeah. bit. So, um, uh, well, my my memories of this. I grew up a NASCAR fan as well. My brother's five years older than me. He and I grew up watching Bobby Allison and Davey Allison, and you know Daryl Waltrip and Rusty Wallace try to kill each other at the Winston, you know, five hundred, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, we just grew up with NASCAR being in Alabama, and Talladega was oh, you know our yeah. track, right? You know, yeah. and so it it was a big deal. And so when we found out they were making this movie, we both had had loved Top Gun, and we we were kind of into Cruise and stuff, and like you, the only NASCAR movies that had been made were kind of a joke. I mean, you had Stroker Ace oh, with Burt Reynolds, yep, which yep. is funny, but isn't? Eh, it's not really good NASCARs. No. So the racing sequences are pretty good, or you had Six Pack with Kenny Rogers, which has a good song and Diane Lane, but that's about it. I mean, that yeah, that was trash.
0: really it at that time.
1: Yeah, you had nothing. And since this, you haven't really gotten any more good ones. We got Talladega Nights, which is freaking hilarious and is a pretty good look at race culture, but it's almost a spoof of Days of Thunder. Mm -hmm. So when this was coming out, this was a big deal. And this is the last movie I saw in theaters with my brother before he went to college. Ah. Like Like the weekend before we were taking him up to college in New York. Um, at West Point he was like we need to go see this thing so he and I went to the theater together and this was a big deal like I was 14 so getting my 18 year old brother to like pay attention to me at all was a big deal you know at that point this is how it goes right but he and I remember going to see this together and it was such I mean we just sat there and just ate it up right I had the Nintendo game if you remember that thing, I do remember that game yeah impossible to beat (laughs) that that game it is nuts it's one of those just like now I wish I could go back and play it I might could do it but anyway I remember I remember growing up with that and just being so into this, and then you know you had everything in this movie. You had all the race stuff. I knew who hmm. Robert Duvall was. I just ate him up. I thought he was great. Oh yeah, Randy Quaid was such a presence. I didn't know who Carrie always was at the time. I would learn I it either. later. John C. Riley, you know, of course, having such a long career now, but this is early. Michael Rooker was always the scary bad guy, mm-hmm. you know, and from things. And then Nicole Kidman, who I didn't know at the time, but fell in love with at that Oh, moment, yeah. How could you not? That made me. Yes, head,
0: exactly. You know? Absolutely. I was like, ooh, red hair. I didn't know I had a thing for red hair until just now. <laughs> Yeah <laughs> it, it does I mean it's a thing and so anyway it was all of that stuff at once you had
1: Tony Scott who I was aware of at that point I had become aware of directors and styles and stuff and I was like this I mean and the knock on this thing at the time was one that it's not realistic to NASCAR you know yada yada mm-hmm. and that it's just Top Gun in NASCAR you know and We're going to talk about that as we get through this, but I think it's funny that on the day we were recording this, to pull the curtain back a little bit, we've just had a race at Talladega Mm -hmm. with a very similar finish to the races in this movie with a huge crash and people swinging around each other on the outside and... People trade and paint all day. And they say NASCAR isn't like this. I mean, it, the thing about it was, I think it revealed a lot about NASCAR that NASCAR yeah. wasn't ready to admit about yourself. It's almost like pulling the curtain back on wrestling before they were ready to admit kayfabe, you know, yeah. or, or break it. Yeah. And it was a little too much. Now, it does simplify a lot of things. And, and having now lived in Charlotte for a, a few years and been around the race culture that is here. And when I say the race culture, we're talking about like, nascar central and oh yeah I mean, the, the headquarters the the hall of fame yes exactly yeah right. yeah and where the cars are built and stuff that is a very complicated process that gets boiled down to robert duvall like praying over pieces of metal in this movie but that's also not totally out of character for like old nascar and this was right at the point when nascar began to change Yes, and began to become what it is now and I remember thinking years later to myself when Jeff Gordon came onto the scene people hated on him the way people hated on the Cole Trickle character because he wasn't from the South he was a little smart cocky guy Mm -hmm. who ran open wheels and then came down here and dominated
0: the sport Yeah, and from California no less just like Cole Trickle Yeah. well it depends on when you ask him where he's from sometimes he claims Indiana sometimes he claims California so yeah right point is he's not from South Georgia right exactly you know where a lot they these other guys are from.
1: And it's funny. I think the funny thing about NASCAR is if you go back to its roots history, and this is what makes the sport so southern mm-hmm. is it's bootleggers souping up their cars and in between runs they would just pull off into the woods and race each other yeah you know it's yeah. drag racers it's it's just guys in their lincolns and their fords tricking them out so they can outrun the cops yeah <laughs> and th- the fact that that becomes a sport only america could we come it, up with something yeah. like
0: that it, it absolutely brilliant and you know it's funny it's that that's exactly i think that's why nascar appealed to me you know it was it mm-hmm. it had a regional identity it had it had its, a very unique history um it, it was and i think that's why it appealed to me growing up in the south and it was always frustrating i never got to go to a lot of nascar races despite being only an hour away because my dad was more of he was into drag racing so it was sometimes torture which i enjoyed as a kid but it was also sometimes torture because the drag race speedway, the IR trace speedway was right across the street from Darlington speedway. And I would just sit there. It was like, I just one day I want to go. And that Darlington did end up being my very first NASCAR race and I've seen several since, but it was, very I, cool. you know, I will say that as I sat down and watched this movie, a lot of things came back to me. Like, yes, the movie had some flaws and even at mm. 14, I was sitting there in a the theater. Okay. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong at 14, but. I had the Days of Thunder poster on my wall. I still have the Days of Thunder Hot Wheel cars, which I it still holds a part of my heart because I I have them out. They're on my bookshelf over here, you know, along with my Optimus Prime. And it's it it meant more to me than I thought it did. And uh, I think you're right. I think it did pull back some of that. Hey, this is actually what NASCAR is. And as we'll talk about a little bit later, they when they were making the film, they they did their research. You know, they mm-hmm. I mean the. Yeah, you know, Randy Quaid's character is patterned off of Rick Hendrick.
1: Yeah, I mean they, they had Rick Hendrick giving them cars, yeah. building race cars mm-hmm. for them, the whole I mean they had a lot of input. And it should be said, Don Simpson was a race car guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and he loved to he loved to, you know, run street cars and race cars and stuff like that. And this whole thing started because Tom Cruise and Paul Newman became friends on, on the Color Money set mm-hmm. and they got to go drive a real race car. And Tom Cruise just became enamored with this thing and said, I, I want to write a story. So he went to Robert Town. They created this whole thing. And then he went to Simpson and Bruckheimer and said, I've got your next movie. Here's how it needs to go. And it's really the first time Cruise started to use his clout as an actor mm-hmm. to get something made. Right, I mean, he gets right. story credit on this. He really should get co-producing credit, too. And, I mean, since then, we've seen what he's done with his productions. Mm-hmm. He definitely has a lot of hand in his... I say action-oriented career, and I think he's done some in his drama career, too. But really, his action-oriented career, he's guiding the ship. I mean, if you like the Mission Impossible movies, it's because you like what Tom Cruise says they need to be. Right, right. And right. He, yeah, he figured that out. And so anyway, I, I think that's neat, though, that it was the first time I really realized like that a star could really get something made. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when I first really started to dig into movies and learn about them and how they were made and stuff like that. And so I just – I don't know. I've always had a, a – a, soft spot for this one, um, but it had been a while since I'd seen it, um, and when we were kicking around stuff to do, I mean, uh, Nate, you were a guest on the Battle Beyond the Star show, which is a fantastic show earlier this year in yes. 2020. You're now a full cast member, so I said, okay, Nate, what do you want to be your first movie here? And you picked Days of Thunder out of the light, yeah. and I was like, absolutely, yeah. man. I'm, I'm down for some of that. It's December, so the race season's over. It's a little cold, but it'll be cranking up here and again in just a few months, so that's true. let's get into the, uh, the movie here a little bit and do a Quick plot summary, and then we'll talk about it as it unfolds. Let's do it. Tom Cruise plays Cole Trickle, and he's not your typical NASCAR driver. He's from California. He's kind of reckless. He doesn't really understand the sport, but he's got talent behind the wheel. So much talent that new race team owner Tim Dayland brings a recently retired crew chief and legend Harry Hogg, played by Robert Duvall, to be the brains behind his new race team. Slowly and painfully, Cole and Harry learn to trust each other, and they start even doing well, and Cole's rivalry with current NASCAR frontrunner Rowdy Burns lands them in hot water with sports brass. Cole and Rowdy develop a fierce rivalry until both are caught up in a major accident at the Firecracker 400, the second race of the season at Daytona, and Rowdy and Cole are flown to a hospital where they're examined by the effervescent Dr. Claire Lewicki, played by Nicole Kidman, a neurosurgeon whom Cole clearly has a thing for. Rowdy and Cole bury the hatchet while destroying a couple of rental cars on the way to dinner with a meeting with NASCAR brass, a great cameo by Fred Dalton Thompson. Meanwhile, replacement driver Russ Wheeler is brought in to run Cole's car while he recuperates and courts Claire. Finally back in the car, though, Cole has clearly lost his edge and purposely blows his engine, fearing another crash. Dalen starts a second race team with Wheeler, which adds another bit of Cole's anxiety on the track. Cole's frustration bowls over at North Wilkesboro, and he crashes into the celebrating Wheeler during a victory lap. Suspended from racing and fired by Dalen, Cole goes to check on his friend Rowdy, who is not cleared to race and is in need of surgery, which Rowdy is afraid to undergo. Cole finally convinces Rowdy to have the operation, and Rowdy asks Cole to run his car at the start of next season during the Daytona 500 so his nervous sponsors will continue their financial support of him regardless of the outcome of his surgery. Cole agrees and finds his mojo again, racing hard, chasing Wheeler around the track. Cole makes a daring move and passes Wheeler on the last lap to win the race, and he and Harry share a laugh and celebrate as credits roll. And that's the tight plot summary of Days of Thunder. I think we should just get into the way this thing starts. It throws us right in to the the big race. Oh, and if you know anything yeah. about NASCAR, the, the cool thing about NASCAR is the biggest race of the year is the first race of the year. Not the, the Daytona Five Hundred. Not
0: the championship race. It is the opening yeah. first race. 50 yes. plus And it years does set the tone It does It
1: does set the tone For the season of, of the racers Daytona 500 If you run good at it You don't necessarily have to win To be a great race car driver By the way You just gotta run good Like top fives mm-hmm. Top tens are what matters It's placing If you run good at Daytona You feel like you've got a team You've got a setup That can run good On other big super speedways And that's where you make your money And make your points In NASCAR You can win all the road tracks In the world But if you can't run to the super speedway You're not gonna win the, the cup And we, we get all the Daytona and I got to say, Ward Russell is the director of photography on this. He had worked with Tony Scott before. It's his first movie as DP, though. And the way he is able to shoot this is so similar to Top Gun without being Top Gun that it's uncanny. I think that's why some of the comparisons are there is because you get the low angles down on the track. Mm-hmm. You get the big above of the tracks. You see the cars coming around. And a couple of years ago, my wife bought me one of those like five laps around the Charlotte Motor Speedway yes. thing for my birthday. Yeah. And when the guy came around turn three, I felt like I was in the scene from Days of Thunder, only to find out, and I didn't know this beforehand, all the in-car shots mm-hmm. are shot on the Charlotte Motor Speedway here. Yes. And so when you see the guys doing it, I was like, that's why that looked familiar, because that's what it looks like at 165 miles mm-hmm. an hour. Mm-hmm. And th- the the cinematography of this and laying out and setting up a scene of what a NASCAR race looks like, there's nothing like it. And, no. and, and you've been to them. I've been to them. I can't explain it to anybody who just watches it on television. That's one thing. But to go and experience that is... Oh, it's, a, it's a totally, it's to a sporting
0: event. totally different yeah. thing. Whether you're in the stands or in the car. I've done the ride-along and I've done the drive-along. I did the drive-along. I did the driving experience at Talladega. And that was... That was probably one of the most incredible experiences of my life. But it really does. Like watching this movie, you know, as I was – I remember as I was going into turn three and looking at just how monstrous that track looks, it really does capture. The movie really does capture it. And like I said, at the beginning, that cinematography at the beginning, the music that plays, I remember when I sat down and watched this this, uh, this weekend, I was like, oh, wow, God, I'm just – all these happy memories just suddenly got kindled back up the step-by-step from the early morning hours at Daytona, the, pre- the preparation of the track, the g- cars in the garage, the getting the track dry, people starting to show up in the stands, even the Confederate flags waving in the infield. I mean, that was um – it was part of the culture. That was part I mean, of the culture. It's just, yeah, it's
1: just part. It's part of it. It really and took I think me. The back. other thing too, the other thing you brought up there was the music. Oh. This is Hans Zimmer's first, first. big deal. Very one, with, and it's the first time with Tony Scott. Yes. And you have got Hans Zimmer and Billy Idol wrote this theme that David Coverdale sings over in the closing credits. If you listen to, yeah. but it's 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 Hans Zimmer, and then they got Jeff Beck, who's a guitar mm-hmm. monster, uh, and another you know big movie of the nineties. He's all over the Young Guns too soundtrack. Oh yeah, too, for oh, John yeah. Bon Jovi. But he's laying down these licks all over this thing. And there's there's just this – it's a movie made in 1990 or – or released in 1990. It was all shot in the 80s. And you can feel like the 80s of yeah. it because of that music. But it's the Zimmer score is just pounding in this. And it carries the movie. And it sets a tone. You're right. It's this sort of dawn and awakening of the morning. And you see this track. And what's amazing is we don't meet our main character until 15 minutes into this movie. Yeah. And that, that is not something you would do nowadays, particularly for a star like Cruz. Right. He's in the first scene yeah. right now. Yeah. Nope. He is, he doesn't come up until later. We meet everybody else. We see real race car drivers. We see Don Simpson acting like a race car driver. And then we see uh,
0: Michael Rooker as Rowdy Burns, yeah. who's
1: basically playing Dale Earnhardt. Let's just oh, say yeah, it's, I he's mean, absolutely that, that's who Dale.
0: this is supposed to be. You know, well, there was a rumor that Tom Cruise had a conversation during shooting, had a conversation with Dale Earnhardt. And it was rumored that that conversation was, would you, like to be the antagonist of the film and he's like no I don't want I don't want to do that you know I don't want people to I think it's funny that Dale Earnhardt didn't want to be the bad guy the <laughs> <I know>. intimidate <laughs> yeah, come on but but but
1: the characterization is very much the way he drove oh, and if you don't know think yeah. about the guy it's how I mean, he is, it's how he kind of ran. is it
0: a coincidence I mean uh, Rowdy Burns the solid black car yep. you know with just the white writing on it which that was my favorite car in the well yeah that was my favorite car in the movie that and the city Chevrolet car Yeah, the City Chevrolet is a cool car. We'll talk about that car in a bit.
1: But yeah, yeah, we meet Rowdy Burns, we meet the whole crew, and we get all of it. And in the middle of it, we cut away. And I think the smartest thing they did in this, to give it that just... Twinch of Realism is you got Jerry Punch and you got the rest of the ESPN crew yes. to do the voiceover work. So it feels like a real show. You know, it's like when Jerry Maguire got the at the time, the Monday Night Football booth, right. Al Michaels and Dan Durdor and those guys to actually call the fake game. Yes. They were doing it just adds a level of authenticity to it that you couldn't get otherwise.
0: Yes. No, I I absolutely agree. Like I said, this movie, I mean Yes, like I said, there were there were there were parts of it that you just that you point out, I was like, actually, they got some things wrong. and this, When you were talking about cinematography, um, there were many times where they would be they would say they were at one track, and then you could clearly tell for that one second, another shot, that that's you know, I'm sorry, but Charlotte doesn't have desert yeah. mountains <laughs> in the background. You know, that's clearly <laughs> Phoenix. No? Uh, there's yeah. another one where towards the end of in the final race where he says Wheeler knocks me into Gant. Gant spun out. At one point, you see, and this was, the, I think, the most egregious one because there is a several shots where you have you have Russ Wheeler, you have Cole Trickle, and then you have the thirty three skull of Harry Gant. But then you see it as the twenty six Quaker State. Then it's Gant again, and then when the car spins out, it's the twenty six Quaker State of Brett Bodine. I was, and then he says, "Oh, you spun me into Gant." I was like, "What did he do?" Yeah, this is this is when you get Tony Scott's rules of like nobody
1: knows, man. Just yeah, <laughs> just but go with it. Right. <laughs> which is but which is, you know what I think but, that's one of the. You know first what though, in 1990 though, he probably was right. Mm. Like only a handful of people would have known the difference, you know, and stuff like that. And the point is, is it goes by in a second. But what I love is that when they get all this big setup and you get this huge, you know, rock and roll Daytona 500 atmosphere, and we cut away to go up here into you know a, a North Mooresville or whatever, yeah, <laughs> North Carolina. Oh, yeah. To go catch up with our two, I guess you'd call them like our, our best supporting characters here. You've got Robert Duvall, who's mm-hmm. just a national treasure as an actor. Oh, yeah. Chewing up the scenery like that, you know, tractor he's on is chewing up the ground. And Randy Quaid, before he completely went off the deep end as a human being, coming out and playing a great Rick Hendrick. Oh, Um, yeah. Clone. Oh, my goodness. To pitch this guy, like, it's this whole, like, I've got to have the mentor lead the rogue through the, you know, tunnel or whatever thing. And I love their conversation. And Duval, of all the actors that do one, has one of the most authentic, true Southern, born into you accents you can get. Yes. He was perfect. Yes. And everything he lays out as Harry Hogg is supposed to be like half of Harry Hyde, the legendary race Mm -hmm. car crew chief, and like four or five other people. Because... Duvall said I just spent some time talking to these guys literally around a table drinking moonshine with them and I realized very quickly I needed to go read up on all the lingo and he got it down because I I love his whole bit though here because the you got the big slick city you know uh, car owner which I think it's funny to hear Rick Hendrick described as the downtown you know used car salesman and I'm like Rick Hendrick is like oh, an auto empire yeah, yeah. you know person exactly. here now but this is 30 years later and and is a racing you know legend but to hear him to see this person who's supposed to be in the early stages of his career who's trying to start up a race team and i mean back in 1990 i remember talking to my brother about this like what would it cost to run a race team and it, in those days just to run a car at daytona it would cost you about a million and a half bucks mm-hmm. now in it's those a lot days. more yeah in those yeah, days it would have been yeah, yeah in, in 30 years ago so imagine what that is now mm. right so just to get a car on the track is you got to have the kind of money that is just insane, right? Mm-hmm. That you're willing to put into this. And I love he's having to have this conversation with him. And that gets us into our first scene where we finally get Cruz in. We're going to do the test at the track, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, here comes Michael Rooker. And I just love this guy, man. Every time he shows up in a movie, I, you know, I never got like go see things because he's in them. But every time he shows up in a movie, I just love his performance. Oh, yeah, he's always looks like he's just annoyed. And that <laughs> whatever you say is going to be the wrong thing. He's like that economic teacher you had in high school. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I, I love that, 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 scene where you finally meet Tom Cruise. Here he comes rolling in. It's, it, it's some of the lines in this movie. It's it, they stick with you over, over time. And one of them at that opening scene, he's like, um, where's he from? You know, Glendale or, or no, he's like from somewhere. He's like, Oh, is that up near, uh, Glendale? Oh, is that up near Wilkesboro? No, Glendale, California. And he's like, Oh, so he's a Yankee. Well, no, not really. If you're from California, you're not really a Yankee. You're not really so. You're not really anything. And it's just that kind of sticks like, well, I guess that's kind of true. Well, And and what sticks about it is Duvall's response. You said it. You said it. That's right. He's already skeptical. It's
1: like, I don't even know who you're talking about. Who is this guy? You know, I don't know. (laughs) The only person you get after the season starts is somebody that ain't no good or wasn't ever good to begin with, Mm -hmm. you know. And he's not wrong uh, in that assumption, but we don't know this guy. And then you get the great moment with Tom Cruise coming up. And what I love here is how from the get-go, You know, Tom Cruise usually walks into the scene and he is the hero, right? Yeah. And when people ding this movie for being Top Gun in, in, in NASCAR, I point and I say, mm, it's a totally different characterization. Like, Pete Mitchell, Maverick, would have walked in and been like, get out of my car, and like drove the thing. Yeah. You know? yeah. This dude walks up and he's like, alright, here's what I do. I know this thing. And he lays out what what is a, a fair assessment of the difference between open wheel racing, you know, sprints, mm-hmm. indie cars, things like that, and NASCAR racing, is that the cars in NASCAR are essentially designed to all be the same. Yes. Now, there are tweaks that people make to them because good engineers do that, but it's generally the drivers and the crew chiefs that come up with ingenious ways of using their resources that help you win, not a a Ferrari engine is better than the Ford engine or the Honda engine or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And I, I love that they lay that out immediately. Because that is for the majority of the audience that does not follow racing. Mm-hmm. Because as big as NASCAR was in 1990, Nate, you and I are from the South, it was big for us. But if you grew up in Kansas or you grew up in Arizona, you didn't watch that. No. That wasn't your thing. You no. grew up in New York, you didn't watch that. You watched the Indy 500 once a year. You didn't watch NASCAR. You know, yeah. that was redneck racing, right? Yeah. This so is I love that they explain that for the audience and that there's all this trepidation. And then you also get those, the, it's, it's pure 80s thing, even though this movie's made in 1990 is when you have the hero turn around and tell the skeptical old person like just put me in the moment and i'll prove it to you, you yeah increase yeah. just lays that cheese out so That's well such
0: Cheese, yeah it's such cheese but you know you're talking about like it's the the people who say well it's top gun and nascar and yeah it it's It really isn't, but then you see Tom Cruise riding up on a motorcycle, just like he did in Top Gun. And then as we see later on when he, with the, you know, the 80s style music playing in the background as they're driving in North Carolina, again, on the motorcycle with the girl in tow. And it's just like, wow, this kind of is like Top Gun actually in some ways. It kind of, yeah, it is. It's,
1: it's a lot of the same stuff, Mm -hmm. but. there's there's a point when it all becomes something more. Yeah. We'll talk about when we get there. But I love that you know, his first interaction, he gets on the track and he's just flying around, right? And they're trying to tell him take it easy, and he's like, no. So he comes I in drop and the he's, hammer it. In
0: it. he's like, no, yeah. you're not.
1: Yeah, and he comes in and he's you know he beats he beats the last guy's time and all this stuff, and it's like, yeah, on one lap. Yeah, <laughs> but you know that's how you prove it. Well, so th- w- we're gonna give this guy a shot based on this one lap, and then we do get what I what I is my favorite car. It's the thing I remember most: that green and gold paint scheme. Oh, that City Chevrolet, yeah, love it! Is freaking cool. It and is I'm cr- not, I can't prove it, but I I swear the Gordon Dupont cars for years copied that.
0: Oh, like, could have been a long time. Well, a little bit about the the City Chevrolet car. City Chevrolet is a, an actual car dealership in Charlotte, North Carolina. When my '92 um, Volvo finally died in 2008, I was dating a girl in Charlotte at the time, and first place I, we said well, we should go to a lot of places and look for cars. The first place I want to go was City Chevrolet, and sure enough, <laughs> went there, and they had the the City Chevrolet Lumina, like one of the Luminas there on display. They had like a whole uh, exhibit display, like a museum display about the movie mm-hmm. Days of Thunder at City Chevrolet. It warned me. I was so happy. I didn't get a car there, but it was very. It was very, very cool to, to, to see all that. Now, you said that when they were building the car. Now, I will say this is one moment that I did have an issue with. When they're building the car and he's talking about all the things he wants to do, shave an extra inch off, put something a little extra, an extra little bit of gallon in the tank. I'm like, wow, that is crazy illegal. They could not yeah. do that. And Yeah. The- and yeah. The NASCAR rulebook, we should yeah. say, is incredibly deep. Yes, it's extremely – like you. everything – like you said before, everything, every car has to be the same. And here he is. I'm going to shave an extra inch off. I'm going to get an extra, you know, extra gallon of fuel in here. And here's the other thing I had a problem with was this is NASCAR. You don't – this isn't the local speedway where you just have one car. If you're mm-hmm. running a race team, you don't have – even in the 80s, you don't have one car. You have no. several cars. So I was really like, oh, so it's just, it was basically touted as it's the one car, and then the sequence of racing events as he's finally learning, getting onto the track with the other drivers, and they just kind of allude to, like, this is the only car. So that, uh, that sequence of events did bother me a little bit.
1: I chalk that up to Tony Scott's ability to simplify things for the audience that won't have any point of reference for it. So, similar that he does in a lot of his other movies, too, is that I'm going to give you enough information so that you realize this is what this looks like. But I'm not going to tell you how it all works because you don't need to know. And if I did, that would be boring. Like, that's Tony Scott's way of thinking about it. Right. Like, if he showed you how everything on the F-14 worked in top gun that would be that True. would be a, a documentary
0: for the military channel but tony scott also has yeah. a tendency like to oversimplify things like t i he does. some some of some of the dialogue is like the obvious foreshadowing like okay that didn't need oh, yeah. then suddenly when something happens it's not as dramatic because you know what's coming because from the dialogue that's the, the obvious foreshadowing that's going on in in, in advance
1: oh yeah yeah and the, what we're setting up is that harry Hogg is this genius who knows how to make the most out of the NASCAR or the stock car, the race car. Right. And if he can get his driver to trust him, he can build something that will beat everything else out there. When they've already set up the dialogue, though, that the point of NASCAR is everything's built the same, but whatever, yeah. you know, details. I, Tony Scott's like motto
0: in life was like, eh, details. Well, here's the you thing. Know, I mean, Yeah, exactly. Well, here's the thing I do. <laughs> yeah. I will say about this, like those instances where he kind of dumps it down a little bit, I guess mm-hmm. a little too much in my opinion are usually followed by something that's pretty freaking incredible. So as I yeah. said the building of the car I was like, okay, that that's they should just tear that car down right now. That would never pass inspection. But then it goes into the racing sequences. And that's really cool as he's try as he's struggling, he doesn't know how to pit properly, he's wrecking yeah. all the time. One of the greatest lines after during that first race, and Duvall leans into the car in the pits. And he's like, Okay, now when you get back out there, I want you to hit the pace car. Like, hit the pace car? <laughs> why? You're hitting every other car on the track. I want you to be perfect. Yeah, a real conversation that apparently
1: happened yes, with Tim Richmond and several other guys. Yeah, exactly. And Tim Richmond? Yeah. So, who Cold Trickle is based on in Tim a lot Richmond. of ways. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I remember Tim Richmond. So, I, it, that's funny, though, because that's exactly, though, when he says that. Again, at that point, being 14 years old... I could believe people in NASCAR would say oh, that absolutely. because that's how those guys <laughs> talk. Absolutely. I mean, this, yes. And, and the whole idea, and this is what, what always just made me laugh and, and still does to this day. Everybody gets so ticked off about the fact that, you know, he's getting bumped or whatever. And he's like, this guy keeps hitting me. He's like, no, he didn't hit you. He didn't scrape you. He didn't run into you. He rubbed, rubbed you. Rubin's racing mm-hmm. and all the, oh, that's
0: not racing. Bull. That is total bull Rubin is racing. <laughs> <Rubbing laughs> racing. Daryl yes. Waltrip, how many times has he said that on NASCAR broadcast? Rubin's racing, yes. boys. Yes. Yeah, that is they've absolutely all said it. True. That introduced that phrase though to
1: the lexicon, and to their credit, NASCAR, mainly because Waltrip started doing it, embraced that oh, on television yeah. and started saying it, mm-hmm. and, and it became part of the culture. And now we all know it. If you know nothing else from Days of Thunder, you know Rub, Rub Racing, yeah, and and it's it, that's. I, and I do like that. I mean, and if you watch a race, at the end of the race, man, like those tire scuff marks and stuff on the side of the paint and everything, mm-hmm. like they've improved a lot of that, so it didn't do it as much because the quarter panel sticks out a lot more now. But if you watch racing in the 90s, race cars
0: looked like hell. A oh, they, they absolutely did. They bumped and banged. I mean, I mean, look at the uh, I mean, the first Daytona race that was broadcast yeah. on national TV. You know, you yeah. had Cale Yarbrough and Bobby Allison bumping and banging each other, and they took each other out. Uh, I mean, that's just how it's done. Yeah, exactly. That footage, though, and all of
1: that stuff drives the story along so well because you see Cole start to slowly but surely get a little bit of it. But he's also screwing up a lot. And he doesn't know what he's doing, like you say. And that's when we come to the big... The big moment is, you know, the the guys are all just sort of like, whatever. He's going to wreck eventually. <laughs> They're eating ice cream in the pit. He gets pissed, <laughs> comes in there. They start a fight while the owner is trying to, you know, coax the sponsors. And I love that this is one of those like, it's not up on the Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, you know, sales meeting, but it's it's oh, next to it's it. Randy Quaid yes. <laughs> brings the race team in oh, and talks about the monkey effing the football. I and you guys, that it was
0: so unexpected that <laughs> yeah. I was like.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I mean, he's exactly right. You guys screwed up big time. And I love how he has the heart to heart with uh, Robert Duvall, Harry Hogg. And he says, look, I know you're awesome. You know you're amazing. But if the dude in the car doesn't l- listen to you and you can't work with him, we're never going to get anywhere. Yeah, you got to get him to trust you and listen mm-hmm. to you. And then they have a great conversation, um, which is supposedly based on several real race conversations mm-hmm. that drivers have had with you know their their crew chiefs. Uh, Tom Cruise says to you, know, Coulson, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you mean. When you, tell, you want me to tell you this? You tell you, I don't understand that. I don't know I don't your speak turn that here, wedge
0: there. It has no clue. It, yeah. it, you
1: not and, and what he's talking about is all the engineering stuff on the mm-hmm. car. And the truth is, drivers nowadays kind of come up and know that. They learn right, that stuff. Right. But it wasn't uncommon for those guys to not know that back mm-hmm. in those days. Especially a guy like Tim Richmond would not have known no, that stuff. No, no. Right? But you can learn it because you learn how to talk about what the car's doing. It tells your guy to translate it, whatever. So they work all that out. And I like that moment, though, because you can see that that's an actual growth moment. Yeah. And that's one of the things I like about this movie is that, uh, unlike Top Gun, when we meet Maverick. He's already great at what right, he does. Right. He's an amazing mm-hmm. pilot already because you have to be before they even let you on the, you know, on the
0: aircraft carrier. Right.
1: When we're meeting Cole, we, we watch him figure it out. And that's a lot more of a an interesting journey for a protagonist in my mind, watching them learn it. yeah, Because that's how the audience learns it, too. Oh, yeah, right? I agree. This is how that I'm is going to win.
0: Much more interesting. And then whenever they're working together, they're working at the racetrack, and Robert Duvall's teaching him, it's it's pretty cool. And I, lo- I think the moment that you know that bond is developed is when he says, okay, you run 50 laps any way you like. Then you have to run 50 laps my way and I guarantee you, I'll be faster and the tires will be better. And sure enough, at the end, he's, you know, when, mm-hmm. you know, Randy Quaid's character pulls up and he shows him the two tires. that's was his way and this burnt tire, my way, this tire that had no marks on it. He says, I was six seconds faster.
1: Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, so that,
0: there's that trust that builds right there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because you've had the expert prove to the talent that I know what I'm talking about and I'm going to let you run your way, but you got to listen to me on Mm -hmm. certain things. And what it was is that, and not uncommon. I I think it's, it's boiled down to a very simple sentence, but it's actually a great piece of science in the movie is in indie cars, the car weighs half as much and the tires are twice as wide. Mm -hmm. Now the car weighs twice as much. The tires are half as
0: wide. You're spinning them out of control and it's burning them up. And we've seen what's interestingly enough is there was this phase, like after Tony Stewart got in a NASCAR, there was this huge Push of all these race teams wanting to sign these open wheel guys, these indie car drivers. Mm-hmm. So you saw Sam Horace Jr., you saw Danica Patrick, you saw just you saw um, Dario Franchini. Dario Franchitti, a bunch of mm-hmm. and they all stunk. They all they <laughs> yep. did the same. They were constantly <laughs> spinning out. They were constant. A lot of it was their tire. I mean, it was always tires issues. They were always they, losing control of the car because, like Robert Duvall says, the car weighs twice as much and the tires are half as wide. And you and you're, yeah, using and them you're up. burning them up yeah. and that's that's the problem is you slip around the slide and it, and it's all
1: over, mm-hmm. so they they get the 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 chemistry down yes. they start running better, mm-hmm. and they finally run well enough he slings around rowdy because you know he has to tell him something and this this sets up a big piece here mm-hmm. that Cole doesn't entirely trust himself right you know and and it's going to get um laid out by uh, Nicole Kimmins character a little bit later in the movie after a big scene, but he doesn't entirely trust himself. Like he knows he's good, but he doesn't know why he's good. Mm-hmm. And so Harry has to lay this bull on him about, I've got to put special tires in there just so you can pass on the outside <laughs> or whatever. It's a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. But, but again, in NASCAR culture, the crew chiefs will tell drivers anything to get them to shut up. Yes, drive. they will. Yeah, <laughs> yes, so, they will. Like, the force is with you, whatever. And so he gets around Rowdy, wins the race, they get the sponsor. Um, and this is the thing too that I always loved is like the NASCAR sponsors before they realized that like the color needs to look a certain way on television mm-hmm. would put the gaudiest, dumbest looking color schemes like a pink and black car.
0: I was like, Does wow, look- when they got the Superflow <laughs> car, out, I was like, wow, that is a hot pink right there. That's, uh, I mean, yeah, it, that was it was horrible. not the it was not the first pink NASCAR out there, but it was still no. wow, for the movie. Just, you had this it just awesome didn't paint look scheme. Right. No, it didn't. You had this yeah. awesome City Chevrolet green and yellow paint mm-hmm. scheme. And then you go to this, and it's like, oh, okay. That's, so we're going to yeah, this But okay. it is the kind of thing you would
1: do as a first race team, right?
0: Yeah, you take what yeah. you got, you a yeah. sponsor. Oh, yes, yeah. so yeah. we are riding yeah. this baby. Bane and, so t- and tail horse and people shampoo was a sponsor, and it was pink. And yeah. uh, they were happy to slap that logo on the car. Exactly. Well, you know, and then you've
1: got the, the array of, you know, little stickers all mm-hmm. over the car, you know, yeah. which are the, you know, a lot of companies realized years ago that, like, we can have one car or we can be on everybody's car. Yeah. And so yeah, exactly. they figured out that was the smarter way to go. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it, it worked. <laughs> but they get out and now they've got the Superflow car. We're, we're winning races. We're, you know, we're everything's right. Right. And we have a little fun here, you know, that we get some NASCAR stories. We get a little bit of Cole's backstory that the reason he had gotten fired from his last team was his dad was basically the owner. Of the race team but he was also like a junk He'd bond salesman man, so he' yeah. he was gone was man yeah so he's he's someone who doesn't trust people because of this that's part of why he is the way he is we get a little bit of John C Riley's dad's character who it sort of overshadows the whole movie that Harry's last driver died in a bad car wreck and supposedly he you know there was there was his here his could voices, have been on pound yeah. and that's why Harry got out because he didn't want to deal with it but I don't know whatever the truth is and the and the thing is they never tell us what the actual story was. right you kind of guess what you want it to be yeah. but it's it's one of those legends of racing that all you know you always wonder like oh why did this happen why did that happen you know these these it happens with these guys yeah. and you get a little bit of that they get the you know the stripper playing the state trooper to you know mess around with Tom Cruise which is a funny scene yeah it sets up a scene when he Totally accosts uh, Nicole Kidman later uh, in the movie. But we have set up for the next race, the summer race at Daytona. Mm-hmm. And that's the cool thing about NASCAR is that you make all the big tracks twice in the season for yeah. people that don't know NASCAR. Yeah. So you do Daytona in February to kick off the season. And then you come back in the summer mm-hmm. when it's hot as blazes in Florida. And you do another race week down in Daytona. And the Firecracker 400, It's not, I don't think it's even called that anymore. But back then, that was a big, yeah. it was like a midpoint yeah, race. It was. You know, it was, yeah, it it was, it was a way to kind of check where you were, you know, how you were doing in the standings. So Cole's in this great race. He's running hard against Rowdy. It's just, they're, they're flying up and down the track and the big one happens. And, uh, you know, growing up in around Talladega culture, I knew the big one was just part of what we talked about. The huge mm-hmm. wreck. I've been mm-hmm. to Tal- Every time I've been to Talladega, I've seen one. I've, walk- I've seen people walk away from stuff. I have no idea how they yeah. did it. You know, modern engineering is, is fantastic, but the big wreck happens and Cole and Rowdy are part of this huge, huge wreck. And they have to fly to the the hospital now because they've had head injuries. And this was a big deal for me to watch because as a kid, I sustained a head injury, not in a car wreck, mm-hmm. but similar. So I kind of could relate with some of this stuff and some of what they were talking about. And so it was, I don't know. It, it I've always, I think I'm some of the reason I've kind of attached to this movie through the years is because I experienced some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I've seen it. The only thing that I'll ding this movie for this is I feel like they kind of get us out of the crash so fast. Way and too so fast. so quick to the hospital. Yeah, Like now, like nowadays, like, I think you would linger on that a little bit and show what it's actually like because mm-hmm. the safety crews around NASCAR are incredible. Yeah. And they're very cautious. They're very you know, careful about what they do. It it almost cuts too quick.
0: And that, it also cuts too quick and it also doesn't explain what happened to Rowdy as he's just going through that. It's He has a mm-hmm. smile on his face as he's driving through, but then his car just slides sideways. Like, it, it just... How did that How did that come about? Was he hit? That was never really explained, like, how that happened. Because even when Cole wakes up in the hospital and, and um, Harry tells him, hey, you know, it's we're not sure exactly what happened. We think another guy hit you. That was never really fully explained. That would have been nice to see in full detail. Like, how did Rowdy get loose? How did Cole run into him um, at full speed? I saw a wreck like that in an ARCA race one time. And unfortunately, the guy who hit the other guy... That exact same way at T-Bone him the exact same way at full speed, the guy who was who hit him actually died and that's... the other guy was paralyzed for a while. So that's that was a very serious, you know, very serious accident. And then, as you say, we see we see him go to the hospital and then it's all, the movie takes a completely different turn from there. Yeah, we get the love story
1: in in the movie and it is introduced because. Nicole Kidman plays Claire that the, She's one of the neurosurgeons. She's not the head of the department, right. at least, so she's not doing a Christmas Jones, James Bond thing or whatever. But she's a surgeon. She's young, but she's qualified. And what I liked about Nicole Kidman here is she she talks very specific, and she she's a she's the kind of actress that knows things there's a funny story she likes to tell that she told the producers like hey I want to spend a couple of days you know, shadowing some nurses." Right, and yeah. they said it'll be a huge waste of time yeah. <laughs> like, we're not going to ask you to yeah, do that but she did it anyway yeah she did so, she, she, wanted yeah. The,
0: like, she wanted to study and she had it good.
1: down and we see that like Cole you know has he's got a concussion essentially and so it's kind of made his vision real blurry he can't see anything he's kind of freaking out too and then Rowdy is like get me out of this right now I don't do hospitals I'm not going to do it. very Dale Earnhardt by the way just I don't do this stuff get me out of here you know he's tough and rumble wants to get free and they both have sustained some pretty serious injuries and when you finally see Cole calmed down he's in the the mRI you know and and I've had cat scans and mRIs you know for years, and so i, I again can relate to a lot of that and uh, there's something he says in it though, that I thought was such a great humanizing line for this character that in another movie they would just would sort have of never done, but they bothered to leave in here is where he says, "Can somebody please talk to me when i 'm in the car? this is this guy that talks nah, to me
0: i I did like that moment, I really and, like and that I moment. can
1: yeah yeah and Having been in those, you know, machines again, it is an incredibly lonely experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it really is. It's just, it's awful. And so it's neat that, you know, that they have that little moment for him. And then, of course, you know, beautiful Nicole and walks in the room to examine him. And still out of his mind a little bit, uh, Cole thinks, oh, this is another setup. <laughs> And before the guys can stop him, of course he's you know like oh don't you want to feel the real machine or whatever. Yeah. And she's like mm, not exactly. So he, but what's neat is that he, you can tell he feels terrible about this mm-hmm. after he finds out like oh no. Then we get again what I think is the cameo of the movie out of all the NASCAR cameos in here the fact that they got Fred Thompson to come in and crush up some Winston Select light packs. Oh. And be the head of NASCAR. Oh yeah! To that's, to just go off on and this that is was apparently a word for word conversation. I wish that, I wish that, the, that Dale and, yeah, and Jeff, uh, Bodine Jeff Bodine Bodine had time. exactly.
0: I wish <laughs> yeah. that Bill, the Francis would have been more like Fred Thompson. I think NASCAR would have probably yeah. succeeded a little bit more had Fred Thompson been ahead of it. And that slow reveal when he turns around, you're like, "Hey, that's yep. Fred Thompson." Oh yeah. Man. And, just a great character actor, and, and
1: gone gone you know from the earth now. But what a fantastic dude! And did work for for decades, but and shows up in these kind of movies and does this role. And I love this whole bit about like, this is what I'm gonna do to you. I'm gonna give you the Japanese inspection. I'm gonna tear you apart if you do. You know, you even look at each other sideways on a racetrack again. And these guys are like, okay, okay, we're getting chewed out, Dad. And <laughs> then it's like we're gonna go to dinner together. And then we get like the great comic relief scene. Oh yeah, of Michael Rooker and Tom Cruise arguing about who's gonna drive. To dinner, we're like, no, let's just go to the local budget rent a car, sign up for the fifteen dollars insurance, and wreck the absolute hell out of these two
0: cars. <laughs> and that was really cool. That was also very cool. Now, going back to the scene where they're, um, we have the Fred Thompson scene when his first cameo, he makes his first cameo, and they're talking to the, they're talking Doctor Lewicki about are they clear to drive. There, are, there was a couple of things in that scene that I, I also had some issues with. One, they were incredible. I mean, not Fred Thompson, but the other guy was incredibly rude, just talking to Mm -hmm. her really hard. I was like, wow, would they really – I would think the safety of their drivers would come first. Why are they talking to her in this way? And then the other thing is – so they're at the restaurant and they're waiting on Rowdy and Cole to show up. And Fred Thompson says, you know, if you can't control your drivers any better than this, maybe you should stick to selling used cars in downtown Charlotte. Where's Rowdy's – Owner. That's what
1: I wanted to know too. That line comes in, and I'm like, did did Tim buy Rowdy? Yeah, because
0: like, no. he because he <laughs> was there was no there was nobody with Rowdy in the meeting with Doctor Lewicki, and there was nobody else. I there think there other.
1: was a guy. There was one guy over to the side that I couldn't tell what he was doing. Well, that was the same guy
0: that was in the uh, yeah. in the meeting that was working for Fred Thompson. So okay, so that wasn't his no, guy. Then. It okay, wasn't. yeah. So
1: you know what? I don't know. That is a weird moment because you would think if he. Well, okay, just to spread that out, if he already had Rowdy Burns, he wouldn't need another race, yeah, too. Then true. there would also be no big deal about having the second one later. So that is a weird line. That was, it, yeah. it almost feels like a and, – and this movie, too. To, you know, to be fair to it, they were writing scenes days it was happening, like at oh, the day of. Yeah. They were feeding lines to the action. So who knows yeah, what rewrite happened. That's true. Yeah, and so, and so it could have been in there somewhere. But I'm with you. I was like, where's Rowdy's people here? I don't mm. see them. But the point is that, that they show up together, and you can tell that the rivals have now become friends. Yes. So it's another point I give this movie when people say, oh, it's Top Gun and NASCAR." We never see Iceman and, and no. Maverick get along until no. they save each other's ass yeah. and are back on the the aircraft character. At the end. and then it's kind of understood that you would hug it mm-hmm. out because you both just didn't die. Yeah, you know. So I mean, that's that's a different moment than this. And I understand that if we ever get the Top Gun Maverick you know, sequel, that that'll be much more fleshed out. You'll you'll know that story better, but. That was something, though, that Tom Cruise apparently insisted on, was that I'm going to have this rival, and then we've got at some point bury the hatchet, because he had heard so many NASCAR stories about these guys who were rivals who eventually buried the hatchet yeah. you know, years down the line. And it's fun to see that, you know, and to hear those guys talk about it. And they have the, you know, they have the little dinner thing or whatever. And they're like, Oh, we had a little car trouble. And you'd see the cars in the valet lot. And they're just, Absolutely but again, story, you know, yeah. these guys don't care. And, <laughs> <laughs> and apparently that was a real story too. Yeah. And so we get, we get past that. But at that point, Cole's not clear to return. Rowdy's clearly not clear to return. And all Cole is focused on is I got to get this doctor's attention. Mm-hmm. Right. So Harry does go and kind of, you know, apologizes on his behalf and, and all this stuff. And she seems to get it. Then Cole kids are in the parking lot. They have this whole moment, but I like that The, the love story between him and Claire is allowed to develop in a, over a series of moments and conversations.
0: Yes. And like, it's not just you know, automatic he, he like profit for a sight of kind of
1: thing. Yeah. department to let her fly to Charlotte to check him and Rowdy out before the next race or whatever, which is, you know, kind of neat. Yeah. And, yeah, you know they get to drive together, like you said. You know we have the, the Top Gun, the you know the top off the car where they're driving together and all this stuff, and they're spending time together and they're they're together. And she does the examination. He comes on to her. And what I love about this though is, especially in 1990, this was a progressive thing to do. When he's like, I can't believe you were ignoring me, and then Nicole Kidman just absolutely plants him. He's like, I wasn't. I was just doing my job, or on. <laughs> and then she just goes to town on oh, him. I yeah. was like, you
0: you go, girl. Have agency. Yeah. Be you. Like you know, the, I, like well, th- that right there yeah. probably shows you why. Like speaking of you know Tom. Tom Cruise's picks. I mean, he handpicked uh, Nicole Kidman after he saw the movie *Dead Calm*. He says, "Hey, I want her in this film," and uh, that's is the film they fell in love with. This is the—I f- mean—that they fell in love in together, and from then on, they had the relationship and then the marriage. But this—it was working on this film—is when their their love, their actual off-screen love story started. Yeah, it's
1: so fun too because in this year in film strip, Kurt and I have just reviewed Eyes Wide Shut a month or so ago, so we saw the end of it literally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so their careers together and their relationship mm-hmm. together in a movie, but yeah, but it's neat to see that here. It's neat to see a character though that uh, because again, it's a Hollywood trope to cast a beautiful woman in a you know heavy role like a neurosurgeon or mm. nuclear physicist or whatever, and they're just they're they're just there to be eye candy, and for her to actually have. You know, brains and show them throughout the movie. That was, which
0: is very different from a Burkheimer produced film. You know, you'll see the women who say they're one thing, but they're clearly, they're like Christmas Jones in the James Bond film. They're like, oh, you're, you're literally a rocket scientist. And wow, you're, there's no way, it's not believable. But in this case, it was. In, In this case, it absolutely was. Like I could genuinely see her being a doctor and she had her own life, her own personality. She was not just eye candy. So I mean, well, yeah, and she, and she
1: also wasn't completely taken by this guy. No, like no, exactly. you know, she kind of went along with it. You, know, she hooked up with him, but she was like, "Are you ever going to do anything else besides race? Because that's really not the you know safe." And I gotta have things going for me. So <laughs> where's this going? Yeah, or do I need to leave? Like you know, you can tell like, it gets a little fun there between them. But I like that though, and I like that when they go to visit Rowdy. He clearly is not right. He's Mm -hmm. he's got problems. And she tries to examine him. And, of course, he falls out. Cole gets sick. Rowdy gives him hell for it. Um, But you can tell though some of the things that Harry has said about race car drivers and sort of their fears of being in hospitals and being around other guys who've been hurt and stuff. That's a very real thing. Oh, it's very very real thing, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, because he's right. They don't want to be reminded of what can happen mm-hmm. to him because it'll make them lose their edge, mm-hmm. and that's what we see happens to Cole. Now we we glossed over. We should talk about Carrie. Always one scene where he comes in here and he gets blown off uh, by Tom Cruise. I didn't know who this dude was in 1990. I, you know, Princess Bride, all that stuff was years later for me and him. Yeah, I, I think it's maybe one of the first things he ever did. You know, but and now I would call him the Saw guy. Sorry, uh, <laughs> but you know, he, he's the he's the doctor in the first and last saw movie so far, but uh, spoiler alert, but yeah, I, I loved how total, like you meet this guy and you realize like, I hate you and I don't even have a reason to. Oh yeah. Like just, just in that first it.
0: meeting, just, I, I hate him and I'm not sure why I hate him. And then the minute, the minute before anything happens, like, so after they've, they've been down to visit Rowdy, the, the, Suddenly they're watching TV and they says, "Well, no, you know, now they has two another race team meet the driver of the eighteen Hardys car, which is a very cool paint scheme by the way, and was actually yes. on the track for quite some time, It like, actually in real NASCAR races." Um, and then introducing Russ Wheeler, and then you just you didn't like him, you automatically didn't like him, and again you didn't know why, but you just didn't like. Maybe just it's that punchable face syndrome, I guess. It's maybe that's yeah. what it was. But he goes the show – I mean, as we see later, he is exactly who you think he is. No, it's, it's exactly the right – It's he's cocky. He's just
1: like Cole, but Cole's our guy. You, we can't have second cocky guy. No. Because we have like veteran cocky guy in Rowdy who we like mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and who you kind of always like because mm-hmm. you can't deny how good he is. And if you yeah. know anything about NASCAR, you know that's Dale. So you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then – then you've got Cole, who you've grown to like, you know, are, are, are behind for the movie because he is the protagonist. And then you meet this guy, and you're like, no, you're the bad cocky guy. You're the, you're the Iceman that we hate. Yeah. So yeah. Might as well have been Russian. I mean, yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, I mean, he was, he was such a, but again, I'll give Carrie always, he's not a grand actor. Okay. Let's not give him too much, but he was perfect for this because he mm-hmm. just had a little bit to do and he played it right. And I love how the, the split, um, uh, Loyalties are immediately called by Harry. He's like, "Who are you going to be rooting for?" You know, you can't have two race teams. Which that's funny because race teams now like have three and four and five drivers right. and stuff like that. Right. But back in nineteen ninety, that would have been for an upstart guy, for a new owner to all of a sudden throw two teams out in the same season. That would have been that would have
0: seemed like a bad. That idea. would have been a really yeah. bad idea. Bad chemistry. Yeah. Nothing good could have come back from a startup team. Exactly like you were saying, a startup team. Now, If this was yeah. an established team, that yeah, sure. I mean. Come yeah. on. Everybody, like, was doing if they had
1: run next year and you bring Wheeler in, you kind of get it because then there's time to build him in, yeah. Everybody gets to know him, but he comes in, he runs good, and then now he's got this other team. And then here's Cole, and so Cole gets back on the track though, and he has clearly lost it. And this is very much the after Goose is dead and we can't fly good anymore mm-hmm. from Top Gun, but much more believable because that almost yeah. comes off really stupid in Top Gun. In this one, because i Navy pilots are ice cold, like this is just how they are, yeah. it's how those dudes roll. NASCAR drivers, though, if they've been in a bad wreck, getting back in a car is sometimes a very scary proposition. Yes. Blowing the engine just so you can get out of it happens all, all the, the time.
0: time. To this day. Yeah, absolutely all the time. I mean, it's that was one of the things I did like that um that he did and then, you know, Russ Wheeler did take advantage of that. Of of Cole's weakness. Now Why he would have picked on Cole, I'm not sure because they, if they work together, like in any other race team, you, you get the same resources, you get the same intel, you help each other. You, you have a partner on the track you can win with. And at the same time, like whenever, you know, here's Russ knocking Cole all over the track. And then as we see, like Cole just finally just snaps. He's had enough right at the end of the race. Uh, you know, Cole is freaking out. You can see him. He's clearly still shaken from the accident. He can't get it together. And then Russ just bumps and bangs him all day long. And then he finally just spins him out, takes him out of the race and Russ goes on to win. And what happens at the end of the race, Cole goes to, to his pit crew. Says, "Change my tires. He says, I don't know why the race is always like change my tires. So he changes tires and he hauls ass back onto the track while Russ Wheeler's taking his victory lap and plows him into the wall. And at that moment, you hear Randy Quaid's character saying, "He's destroyed both my cars." And it's like, "Well, your guy was destroying that one now." Yeah, you know, you should have told. It's like, "Hey, you no, know, knock it off. You know, this is costing me money by doing that." You're
1: exactly right. That is the biggest like NASCAR y plot hole that I'll pick on in this is that. Wheeler should have used Cole to get around the track better mm-hmm. and just continually passed him. Mm-hmm. When Cole and Cole should have been like, "Hey man, I'm the 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 lead driver here." Yeah. That should have been the that would have been a much more realistic portrayal of that is that I'm going to use this guy to drag me around the track and then I'm going to fling around him because drafting is a very, you know, cool thing and they do that whole mm-hmm. you know, sweet and low thing on Nicole Kimble's leg for it. Uh, which was apparently Tony Scott's idea of how to describe drafting and I got to say good choice. Good choice, yeah. Um, <laughs> because the other way would have been much more boring. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, <laughs> at least for a fourteen-year-old boy in nineteen ninety. But I, I, that would have made more sense is that Wheeler was just constantly you know jumping out in front and kind of overstepped, and that would have made sense because there's no way. The other thing too is if he's out there bumping and grinding gold, Dalen would have got on the phone to him because owners do this mm-hmm. and be like, "Stop wrecking my race yes, car!"
0: Yes, like, they like, absolutely that do that. Do. They absolutely do that. And yeah. I did like at the end after that happened. Then you see both race teams start duking it out in the pits, which is incredibly common. That happens, All that happens the time. so many times. So many it's times. To a this meme day, happens. But I love <laughs> – I did like Randy Quay being right in the middle of it. It's like, you're fired. You're fired. You're <laughs>
1: fired. I love that. Right. Yeah. I know. and But that's what happens. So, so Cole gets fired. Harry's fired. The Superflow race team is done, which I'm like – I'm sure the Superflow people are like – um, uh, you really didn't, didn't get our money's worth right here. Yeah. <laughs> really? Can we get the back quarter pillow of the Hardy's car now <laughs> exactly. or something oh, you know, for this? But, but anyway, put that aside, yeah. put that over. He gets fired. He's, he's out <clears throat> or whatever. And he decides that, okay, I've got to, you know, I've got to go and, and convince Rowdy to have the surgery. And he's taking, uh, Claire back to the airport. And of course he or she gets into a you know thing with a taxi driver and she jumps out of the car. And this is when I think Nicole Kidman has her best scene. She mm-hmm. absolutely lets into him. and. I love that they gave her these lines and she just totally nails it. She talks about how you're scared. You, you're scared. You don't have the nerve to do this. You may have never had it. You don't know what you're going to do with yourself. And then she, her last line to him was great. He's like, I hate you. You make me sound like a doctor. Yeah. And she walks away and I was like, ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. And I mean, she, but she levels it. And yeah, I love and that. And I love that they, yeah. Cause nowadays like Tom Cruise would never let that happen. <laughs> I mean, I knew, like that is no, but back then he would, he, he wrote that mm-hmm. for her mm-hmm. apparently. And she just, just, Killed it, and I, it was it was just amazing, and I love though that they gave her to, to do that because it does inform everything he does the rest of the movie.
0: Yeah, and, and I do, and that right there set the tone for what he does. That was that wake up call he needed, and then next thing mm-hmm. you know, he goes over to Rowdy's house. Rowdy is he can't remember his name. He said he points to him. He points to the trophy. He's like, "Hey, what'd you win this one for?" And he can't remember. He's like, "That's the Winston Cup. That's like." the pinnacle yeah. of your profession you can't remember what that is and he's like all right we can, we can fix your brain now or we can fix it at the hospital or we can fix it right here now what's it going to be and then he does convince him to go down in there but you still see he's not cole is still struggling he at least mm-hmm. got rowdy into the hospital and then the diagnosis for rowdy is not good he's never going to be able to drive a race car again but rowdy needs somebody to drive his car next year he says you know they, the sponsor put their money on me and not the car i was like well isn't that how it usually works? I mean Yeah. I mean they don't care about the car. They just need the driver to drive it. Like it could be you know I'm you could let's you know, Jeff Gordon and his prime could have went to some scrub race team and I guarantee you he would have brought sponsorship, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you put Gordon and Chip
1: Ganassi on a, on a team together, and that you were going to win. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. this is how it was for years, and that's how it's worked for a lot of years mm-hmm. for a lot of these guys. But I like what he, what he says though, is and he's exactly right, and I I can't help but think if somewhere along the way. Cameron Crowe and Tom Cruise had this conversation about this because this is in Jerry Maguire with the guy talking about how like I got to play next year, I got to get my bonus. Yeah, the hockey player with the concussions or whatever. And and I thought about that because I saw Jerry Maguire not that long ago again, and I thought, wow, I, I wonder if like Cruise influenced that at all? There's nothing I couldn't find anything on the internet about it, so it's just me putting those together. But and it could be total synchronicity, but I just am curious about it. But it's it's a right conversation, is that look? I got a lot of things that this year would have been the year to pay for him. I need somebody who I trust in this car. I need you to run this car. So that's one part of it. And I love how Cruz walks out of that when Cole leaves that scene. He said, well, we'll talk about the business part later because he starts to freak out a little bit. You can tell, like, I can't I can't think about this right now. Yeah. And he walks straight past Claire, doesn't give her a look, nothing. No. And she's like, yeah, he's like, just tell him I'll call him later. And he goes straight to Harry. And they have that great conversation where he's got to convince Harry, you know, to, to build the car for him, to set it up for him. Because, we, again, that wouldn't make any difference at all. It's the same yeah. car. In fact, Rowdy's crew probably would know that car better, but whatever. <laughs> we've, we've built in that only Robert Duvall can touch the car and make it magic. And so they have the great argument, though, about... You know, you're gonna die if you get back in that race car. It's a good oh, that scene was between Robert Duvall really and a really great scene.
0: I absolutely love that. Just that that fighting right there where everything with Cole, everything with Robert Duvall, everything comes out in the open and it's just that you suddenly see you, the charming persona that Robert Duvall suddenly had, then you see this anger come out. That anger mm-hmm. about talking about Buddy Brotherton and uh or Buck Brotherton, um, no, Buddy Brotherton, yeah, that's the one that died. In the car. And then when Tom Cruise asked him, like, how was he doing in that race before he died? And then he just snaps. Yeah, yeah So there's definitely more to that story. He's like, wow, what, what did happen? That's why there was no yeah. investigation because I mean, there was going to be an investigation. And then Harry just says, ah, oh, no, I'll retire. Uh, so yeah. there couldn't have been an investigation. So that was Can't yeah, yeah that was like the, that really though? Really powerful. Like – I really like that because nowadays, like a movie would bother to explain that. We'd
1: get a flashback, we'd hear all about it, you know, and I like that that is just dangled out there and left.
0: I do too. Because that's life though. Yeah. I mean, that happens all the time. People just don't tell you. For a movie that had a tendency to throw, like I mentioned before, throw out the obvious foreshadowing, I like that sort of just left it hanging there because you you wonder about it, but. At the same time, it's it's, not—it's—it's not necessary to know the full story. You you, just—you leave it to your imagination to know.
1: Well, you know it's it's very similar, and I've made so many comparisons. This just just another one the top, the Top Gun moment where Tom Skerritt is telling Maverick how his dad really died. Oh, you know, yeah. like to me, like that scene kind of matters. But mm-hmm. if you watch that movie again, it would be so much better if they played it like this. Yeah. Oh. And yeah. said, "There's some things you just don't get to know That's in right. life, son. That's right. I love <laughs> you know, that. And yeah. you got to move on. Yeah. I, I and, mean, and I'm, I watched this, and I'm like, this is so much better than that. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. that seems so." Cheesy and and uh, I don't know, not earned the way that this seems very earned between these two guys. And then they have a laugh about. I don't know about this. Yeah. (laughs) And then you know they're going to get on the track together. And then we get another you know Robert Duvall talking to the car, which is funny. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just love it. And the thing starts leaking all over. Oh, (laughs) that was
0: even at fourteen. I remember seeing that. And I that when I was working at the Speedway at fourteen years old, that happened one Friday. We had the truck. We had the car loaded up onto the trailer and everything like that. The night before we get up the next morning. And I I ride my bike down to the guy's house and I get off the bike and the driver and the crew chief and the driver's dad are standing around just looking at the car. I was like, what's wrong? And he's like, look under, you know, look, on, look on the, look on the trailer underneath the engine. And I looked and I was like, is that oil? And he says, yeah. I said, well, what what does that mean he's like that means we're not racing this saturday i was like yeah. oh no and they said like, they explained it to me like yeah mm-hmm. we have to basically replace the whole freaking engine like we're tell me when you're out of school this week and come on down we need your help so exactly. um yeah that's exactly yeah so when i saw that dripping i was like oh oh wow that's that's real bad and and we should say like you
1: know you would think like if you have an oil leak in your car like you can go fix the gasket on it and you mm-hmm. wouldn't on a race car? No. Dude, the dude. whole thing is gone. Whole, you you start f- over. Because yeah. if you don't, the chances of it catching on fire are incredible. Oh, yeah. And you don't you don't need that. So you do it then and and we'll go ahead and say it now because they reveal it later in the race. <laughs> Harry calls up Tim and says, I need an engine. Yeah. And Tim gives him an engine mm-hmm. for his car. To do it or whatever. And it gets paid off later because Cole's, he's only got one gear left and they're having to push him to get him you know, fast enough to get out of the thing. And Dalen makes the Hardy's crew push too. And the NASCAR officials busting him for it. And he's like, nope, that's my engine in that car. I own that. I engine. did like and that. And so I'm like, mm-hmm.
0: that, yeah, I did. I like, that's a cool I really payoff. like that a lot.
1: And I like that moment because it redeems Dalen mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. A little it bit. does. Like at that point, like we needed something that would because he's not a bad guy. He's just a businessman. That's right. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, he's just trying. To win yeah that's
0: his whole thing and the whole like just give me the high gear totally works it's daytona you yeah. only need the high gear that, that's yeah. it yeah you, if you get that thing going up fast enough that's all, that's all you gotta because when he says you need to be at full speed when that when that uh, green flag drops so yeah i i, I did love that and whole he passes season. the whole thing and that was in the but even at the beginning of that race yeah he's for half the race he is in last place he's hanging out at the yeah. back he's not communicating anything to harry he and harry's the sitter cole you're you know what's going on answer me what's wrong with the car what's wrong answer me please he's like pleading with him please mm-hmm. talk to and me. and then the big wreck again and then yeah. the wreck happened you seem sweating and breathing he's having the flashbacks but then and then he, you know harry's pleading was a like, go high i promise you i know it i know it in my heart that you're gonna be fine and so he trusts him and sure enough mm-hmm. he blows through it and then it's just just like he's coming out of the smoke it's just like the clouds lift and he's like he's back. He's like okay, I yeah. get, I'm out of here. I got this. And Exactly. The old he cold running turns, gray yeah.
1: And we get a great end sequence where, I mean, and Wheeler's got him pegged. He's like, he always goes outside. He always passes on the outside to come get me. That's his move. That's what he does. And I've seen this happen in races. It's so exciting oh, to see. Yeah. Is The guy acts like he's going one way, and he deeks around the other side of you. There, and he takes the inside, and you get that just you know great finish there at the end. I remember he,
0: one of the most exciting yeah. races. It was a Daytona race that I saw. It was the, the summer race in 2008. And my driver, Tony Stewart, he was driving the burger king car and on the last lap he did the exact same thing all i could think of was days of thunder and (laughs) he kept going high on bobby labani bobby labani kept cutting him off and then right coming off of turn four tony stewart goes high labani goes high stewart goes low starts to slingshot past him and stewart because he slingshot past him he already got the front of his car underneath him and labani tried to cut him off but stewart's nose was already there and Labadi went out and Stewart won. And it was just an incredible ending that I still watch recordings of. But, yeah, it was that was it was the the only thing I didn't like about that was the obvious foreshadowing. Where Russ Scrooge yeah. was like, be careful, Russ. He's going to try to slingshot past you. And he's like, I know, Cole. He'll always go on the outside. And I was like, oh, don't say that. Just don't. That didn't need to be said. You take that line yeah. out. That makes that slingshot way better. Even when Cole says, this one's for you, Harry. That's a perfect line. Yeah. Like if you had just had that, if if the, you had the crew chief
1: telling Russ that, and Russ just says, "I got him," you know, yeah. and that's all Even he has that. to say. Because nowadays, like you 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 hear these guys in the car like all the day now mm-hmm. on, on the 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 uh, television when you watch a race, and that's what they would say. Like, "I got him, I got him," you know, mm-hmm. and that's all he would say. And then if Cole had come back with like this one's for you, Harry, and then he slings the other way around, that would have been perfect. Because you've got that music pumping. I mean, Zimmer nails that. Yes, he does.
0: Yes he does. It's
1: it's a great ending. It's a great end of the race. And I love though that this movie doesn't just end on the big crescendo Mm like that. It allows it to come back down. We go to the, you know, the um Winter circles, Cole Kimmins there, you know, everybody's there. Even Dalen's kind of happy. Russ kind of tips his hat to him, you know, the whole bit. Everybody's happy. And Harry's just sitting over there, kind of exhausted from the whole experience. (laughs) And I love that the last thing we get is just a little moment between them. And there's like, I'll race you. And then they just start running together. You know, the old man and the kid running. And that was really cool. It's fun. I
0: mean, that was also one of those unbelievable moments too, where Oh, the the winner of the day twenty five hundred just walks away from victory lane, no. without being bothered, <laughs> without anybody following him to just go have a quiet conversation with his crew chief on the side. Yeah, that, the the yeah. TV people wouldn't let that happen. The sponsors that would have sure been hours later. Yeah, <laughs> <Yes. yes.
1: laughs> yeah, that would have been hours, hours later. That, later. Yeah, that that happened because yeah, those guys. You are taking pictures with everybody. <laughs> You're talking about well, the Percolator four hundred today ran real well. Well, we had the Melly Yellow fifty one mm-hmm. really turned up and really appreciate the Goodyear tires and <laughs> yes. They, yes, they sort of got to get all the sponsors out there. Yeah, they got to I mean, get all yeah, the sponsors it's, it's, out there. It's how they. But it's how they're trained to do it. And that's what makes it fun. I would. I, uh, Talladega Nights actually does a really good job of yeah. laying out oh, how yeah. that works. I, yeah. <laughs> um, so more than this movie did. But this movie doesn't do that. This is where it ends, and it leaves us with that big moment. And then, of course, we get the big David Coverdale song singing over that theme the whole way out as we go to credit. So I guess we're at the, the part of the podcast where it's time for final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So Nate, what are yours for
0: Days of Thunder? So my final recommendation is this. It's when I, I remember the first review I saw of this film was the Nashville Network's review of this film and if there's anybody if there's ever an audio wow. a nascar audience it's going to be those yes. who turn into national network and they slammed it they did not like yeah. it they're like we don't like the name we don't like the way it's shot we don't like the fact that he's from california we, i mean they were just pointing out all of this stuff that they didn't like and i remember they get i was like okay it's not that bad it's a to me growing up in the south watching nascar in the 80s I enjoy it. Even though at 14 I was pointing out all the things that were wrong, I-, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It still, despite its flaws, it sticks with you. I mean, what can you compare it to? To me, it's like with food or drink or movies. The movies, that those things that really stick out to me are ones I can't compare to anything else. You can't compare Talladega Nights to it. Talladega Nights is a spoof. It's a comedy. You can't compare Stroke or Ace to it or Cannonball Run or anything no. like that. It really, it, you, you can't even compare it to Top Gun. In some ways you can, but it's not Top Gun. So mm. for that, I greatly appreciate it. It was a part of my childhood. It was probably at that point in my life where I was more into racing than I'd ever been. I would I would, I would recommend it. I, I would certainly recommend this. to For, Tom, for people who like Tom Cruise, you've got to watch it. You, if, for the pure fact of where he's at in his career at this. You had mentioned this was... One of the first films where he had a lot of say in a lot of things. And it works. Um Yes, you still see those Bruckheimer hints in there. You still see a lot of the... I mean, you, you certainly recognize Hans Zimmer's music. Um, you, As we can see in a lot of the Christopher Nolan films. But overall, popcorn size... Ooh, wait, this is tough. Um, before I sat down to watch it, I would have given it a medium popcorn. But then when I turned it on and that opening music played and it just drew me back. Now, this is because i have seen it. and I loved it as a kid. I got to give it a large. I'm not going to give it an extra large, but I got to give it a large because it's certainly one. You, you can watch it through a large popcorn and it, it's you're not going to walk away thinking, wow, this is one of the greatest, most influential movies I've ever seen. But you'll walk away feeling, you know what? This is two hours, of my li- hour and a half of my life that was worth it. Yeah.
1: All right. I got to say, man, this one, like I said, holds a special place in my memories, too, because of when I saw it, who I saw it with, where I was. And it's one that I have always felt like got undue criticism. Yes. Uh, Bruckheimer says this ended an era of Hollywood filmmaking because the Michael Chimino Heaven's Gate ended the auteur director Mm -hmm. era of -hmm. filmmaking. He said, this ended the studios trusting the powerhouse producers. He said, you know, producers that made movies. He said, you know, Simpson and Bruckheimer were more known than the directors we had Mm on our movies. And this one didn't do what top gun did. So they, you know, they fired us and we ended up going to Disney and Hollywood studios and it severed his relationship with Paramount forever, pretty much. And it ended an era of that because it underperformed. I mean, $157 million and, you know, again, $40 million on rentals. It underperformed. I mean, that's just, you know, it's ridiculous. Because this was also when Hollywood, though, started to, if your movie didn't, like, quadruple the budget, if it was a big budget movie, then it was a failure mm-hmm. in some way. I always felt like this movie got a lot more criticism than it deserved. And here's the best way I've learned through the years to be able to sum up this movie. Imagine if Top Gun actually had a plot then that would be Days of Thunder. And that's what this movie is. Top Gun is a rock and roll movie with some great flying sequences, but there is no plot to that movie. The people in it will tell you there is no plot to that movie. Tony Scott said there was no plot. It didn't matter. This movie had a plot. And it had a plot because Tom Cruise had a lot to say about it and because Bruckheimer and Simpson insisted on it. They fought with Scott every day about this thing, and Ward Russell tells stories about that. But they, they fought every day about it. But what came out was something that is always watchable mm-hmm. it's not perfect it's got its moments mm-hmm. it's definitely got some sheen on it that is just of its time yes. But it is infinitely watchable, Absolutely. especially if you're into this kind of thing. And again, if you grew up like we did and you watched NASCAR at all and racing, this is great. And if you want like a real highly technical great race movie, Ford versus Ferrari is oh, your yeah, movie. yeah. That yeah. is a Absolutely. fabulous movie yeah. for that. There, There's movies for that. This is not that movie. No, and it doesn't pretend no. to be. And that's what I like about it. This is a total large popcorn and a lot of fun. And it is very much the beginning of... Tom Cruise hero, action star person, you know, that, that he became, or it's in that swing of things when he started to do that, They would take a few years and kind of get mm-hmm. off of that and do other stuff. But when he started doing mission impossible and all those other things, that's when he's kind of leaned right. into that
0: now. You yeah, know, it's interesting. If you look at the late eighties, early nineties, as far as sports films, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's a damn good time. You yeah, think about like you've got in this, in this 10 year period between 86 to 96. You've got Major League, you've got Days of Thunder, you've got you've got Bull Durham, you've got Field of Dreams. You've got I mean you've got some films that center around sports and they do it in my opinion very well. I I am I'm very impressed. This would be something that I could totally see myself doing in a weekend is binge watching a series of late 80s early 90s sports films. And Days of Thunder would absolutely be included in that. And it's it would take it takes you back to for people like you and I who are in our early forties, early to mid forties, it takes us back to that time where we were really getting into sports as kids. And these movies were kind of shaped that. You know, whatever, if it was NASCAR or baseball or football, whatever, these movies kind of shaped that. And to just sit down over a weekend and just go back to watching these movies, remembering, wow, this is why I liked this sport. And Days of Thunder certainly did that for me. It, despite its flaws and despite some of the, the, you know, some of the script writing that I had issues with, and some of the you know, errors I saw on the track, it's still a NASCAR movie, and I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: It's a, it's an absolute blast, and it's a lot of fun to watch and to just have out and i mean i I think it, it's so much fun that we, we've included it here it's you know it's at the end of the nascar season mm-hmm. so it was a perfect time to drop this movie in we got some fun stuff coming up on the horizon as we round out 2020 here today i'm going to kind of give everybody a little teaser of what's coming up so next week we've got event horizon on Ooh. Uh, I, Irina and her friend chris came on we did that one that's going to be a blast december the 14th gang we have something super special coming for you because it's the holiday season. Hopefully you're going to be able to travel, go see family. You're going to be off for a little bit of time. You know, hopefully it's, it's a good time for you, but you're going to need a distraction because as much as you miss your family, once you're around them for 35 minutes, you're going to realize I don't want to do this anymore and you're going to need to run on a treadmill or something. So we are releasing not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, six episodes on one day. The entire Paranormal Activity series will drop in your subscribe box on December the 14th. You'll get uh, the four first Paranormal Activity movies, the marked ones, and then the Ghost Dimension. Now, we recorded those over a span of years, Nick, Ron, and I have, but we finally finished it up. We're dropping all of them to you there have for a big opening early Christmas present. And then at the end of the year, we've got something super special with our friends from Tiz the Podcast. Uh, you should check out their show. If you're into Christmas movies, they talk about them year-round. They do a great job with it. They were on last year's Year Ender with us, and uh, we had them on for Rare Exports, which was one of our great episodes. Uh, and we got them on this year to end of the year with New Year's Evil, uh, which is just a personal favorite of mine. It's how I spend New Year's Eve. I watch that movie uh, every year, and so it's something you should check out. So That's all coming up in 2020. That'll round us up and then 2021, we'll get back to kind of a normal life. You know, we'll go back to our bi-weekly schedule and stuff. But Nate, you're now part of the fold, and you and I are going to do something interesting next year. We're going to take a selected look at the Star Trek franchise. Yes. Uh, we, we're not going to tease it all out here, but you and I have decided, you know, there's there's a ton of Star Trek films, but we're going to kind of pick and choose like the, you know, a film that represents the original mm-hmm. cast well, a film from the Next generation cast and a film from the uh, you know J, J. Abrams of, a verse of the cast and uh, we may throw in a couple of extras along the way too. Yes. But uh, that's going to be a lot of fun to uh, to get into in twenty twenty one with you.
0: That's going to be exciting. I mean, for those for those who don't know me, I am a massive Trekkie. Before I got into sports, before I got into history, before I got into everything that I enjoy, there was Star Trek. My dad took me to see Star Trek in the motion picture when I was three years old, and I was hooked ever since. Yeah, this is, this is a big one for you. And this
1: is going to be fun for me because, I, you know, when you had to pick sides in the playground, I most assuredly picked Star Wars. Uh, and it wasn't <laughs> that I was anti-Trek, but I just didn't well, watch that's the, the old series, you know, some yeah. growing up. I watched, you know, like I saw Khan, Search for Spock, and Voyage Home, like in theaters with my family. There's like certainly –
0: the people pr- you know. put the Star Wars-Star Trek rivalry as a rivalry. It's a mutual respect thing. It, Trekkies it still enjoy Star Wars. People like Star Wars can still appreciate Star Trek. So, yes, Exactly. But it'll be fun because again, not being
1: the super fan of something to have one on the show will be a blast to talk about as we get into stuff in 2021. A lot more stuff coming here from Filmstrip folks. And the way to get it is to subscribe. Go to FilmstripPodcast.com. Everywhere podcasts are found, you can find our links there. Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, we're all over all of those. Subscribe. If you can leave us a review on Apple, that helps the show a lot. We appreciate that. You can follow the show's social media at FilmstripPod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also Follow us on Facebook at Filmstrip Podcast if you want to see the show posts and stuff from the host from time to time and what we've got going on. All kinds of cool stuff. It's been a massive year for us here on film strip. We're doing a ton of shows, a lot of it because, Hey, like the rest of you, we all kind of got stuck working from home for a long time. We didn't have anything else we could possibly do. So we decided to double up and do a lot of shows. We hope you've enjoyed them and we really appreciate your support and feedback. It's going to be an even more fun year as we, we turn the corner on the year and go into 2021. So Nate, thanks again for joining me on this episode and folks, we appreciate you listening as well. So until next time for Nate, I'm Jay.